Hello, filmmakers. Welcome to another exciting FilmmakingStuff.com filmmaking podcast, where we focus on modern movie making tips and tricks so that you can take action and make your movie now. Today's show is very important. If you've been making movies for a long time or maybe you're just getting started, you need to know that the days where you relied solely on some outside producer or distributor to market and sell your movie, well, those days are over. And joining us to talk about this filmmaking stuff are two very special guests. We have Sherry Candler and John Reese. Now, Sherry Candler is an inbound marketing strategist. She helps independent filmmakers build identities for themselves and their films, and through the use of online tools such as social networking, podcasts, blogs, online media publications, and radio, she assists filmmakers in building an engaged and robust online community for their work that can be used to monetize effectively. John Reese is a director and a producer. In fact, he was named one of the top 10 digital directors to watch by Daily Variety. He's a critically acclaimed filmmaker who's produced and directed three feature films, most recently Bomb It, about a graffiti and the battle over visual public space throughout the world. Based on his experience releasing Bomb It with a hybrid strategy that we'll talk about later, he's written Think Outside the Box Office, the ultimate guide to film distribution in the digital era. He also speaks around the world of film festivals, schools, and organizations on this topic. Hi, John and Sherry. We're very excited to have you today. Hi, Jason. Hey, Jason. How are you? Doing well, thanks. Um, just, a, you know, a lot of things are changing in the world of independent filmmaking, and I think you two pretty much have your finger on the pulse. You know, when I started this whole thing, I was like a lot of independent filmmakers where we spent years raising money, and we did this with the idea that we would make our movies, get into festivals, score an awesome distribution deal, and live happily ever after or as you both know, that was the dream. Uh, these days, thanks in part to changes in traditional distribution, you know, I guess my big question is, I'm wondering, is being an independent filmmaker, is this even something we should dream about anymore? What are your thoughts? Well, uh, I think the notion of what a filmmaker is um, needs to change. Um, I think in the past, people thought of filmmakers as, as you outlined, someone who strictly makes a film and then passes it off to someone else. I think, number one, if you're going to be a filmmaker in the new era, you have to realize that filmmaking, just making the film is only half of your job. That filmmaking now encompasses connecting that film to an audience. And that has to be integrated and part of the process and recognized as part of the process. I, I think that that dream that you mentioned was a dream for some people, but was essentially a nice myth that was created through a variety of factors, and which are relevant for a very few films still every year, achieve that dream. But when you have so many films made, I would say 98% of the films that are made, maybe even 99.9% .9 of the films that are made every year do not achieve that dream. So I think filmmakers have to be much more practical now and much more savvy about and responsible for their relationship to connecting their film to an audience, which is essentially used to or still called distribution and marketing. That that has to be, in some sense, their responsibility. It may not be that they do it themselves, and this is something that Sherry and I will talk about, you know, that we created this or I created this concept of what is called a producer of marketing and distribution, that there should be a new crew position to handle this material if filmmakers don't want to do it. Doesn't, that, that doesn't mean that it's not your responsibility as a filmmaker. Still, as a filmmaker, you need to recognize that that part of the process that wasn't, isn't taught in film school still, most film schools, 
as part of your responsibility is now part of your responsibility. The second part I would say is I think also the notion of filmmaking itself needs to go beyond, and I think what's exciting about being a filmmaker now is that there are so many more opportunities available to filmmakers beyond a short film and a feature film, that if you actually look at that, those are two very constraining mediums. Um, and we're not going to, I know Sherry's not going to want to get into a whole discussion of transmedia here, but I would just say that I think if you take a look at what the potential is with where technology is going, where film is going, moving into the realm of transmedia using multiple platforms and multiple different forms to express your vision that who really cares if the old way of filmmaking exists or doesn't exist anymore. I feel it's a really exciting time to be a filmmaker because there's so many more opportunities available to filmmakers than when I started making films. If, if you're a filmmaker and you have this idea that, that you want to make a living doing this stuff and, and sort of responding to what you just said, there's so many different things out there that you can do. You know, what are your suggestions for putting together some sort of strategy so that you don't feel uh, – I think it's sometimes people just get, um, what is it, paralysis by analysis, uh, where they, they have so many things coming at them, they're never sure which one's going to work for them. Uh, what are your suggestions on how to find a game plan that might help you get a little bit closer to the success of your movie? Um, I would still start with what you're passionate about. Um, and to start with that, because it's still, however film is, you know, whatever foreign film takes, it's still a very, very difficult business. And so if you're not passionate about the project, um, it's going to be a very difficult road. You know, and it, I think it still has to start with that passion. And to just open, I would just suggest to open your eyes out to the possibilities and see, you know, I know it's a short interview, so it can't, we can't discuss everything here, but to just see what the different kinds of, what form, let me put it this way, think about the idea that you're passionate about, and then consider what form that should take. And I would also at the same time consider potentially who the audience is for that, that idea that you have, and how can you from the beginning conceive of connecting that idea to that to an audience. This is not to say that you're creating ideas to cater to an audience, although some people will still do that and always have done that. This is a way of thinking of marketing in the sense that you have an idea, you think intelligently about who the audience is, and you think about how you can connect that audience to the idea that you have. Not um, how should I say? Um, as Creating in a bubble and hoping to find people later. That's one aspect of it, and not viewing it, and not viewing marketing as some sham process that's going to destroy your creativity. I think if you start off like that, I think you're just shooting yourself in the foot by not embracing the tools that now exist to allow you, as a filmmaker, to connect to an audience, an audience for the work that you're already going to create. Um, it just you just need to recognize that the work needs to be done much sooner and integrated into the process. And in terms of, you know, how do you not get overwhelmed with all the information that's out there? You know, I think, you know, it's, you have to kind of, that's, you know, because there is a lot of information out there. It flies all across the web constantly and partially because we're in a period of transition. But I think you need to kind of like look around at the voices, see what voice resonates with you and kind of like spend some time looking into that voice, whether it's Henry Jenkins or Lance Weiler 
or me or Sherry or whoever is out there talking or Seth Godin or whoever it is, find a voice that resonates with you. And again, a lot of being a director and a filmmaker, I would say more than half of it is trusting your gut and developing your gut as a filmmaker. And that goes across all aspects of filmmaking and is especially important for being on the set. And this is an aspect of how to trust you. Check your gut. Like what makes sense to you? Who's speaking to you that makes sense? And then learn more about what that person has to say. I would say that's a good place to start. Well, also the question you had was about strategy, as if there's one magic strategy that everyone should be adhering to, and that's not true. It depends on the project. It depends on the audience. It depends on the filmmaker and how they're going to tell that story. Every strategy is going to be different, and, and you're not going to do it by picking the tactics first. First, you have to decide what is your goal and who is your audience. And then you can go on to picking the tactics. Who should I listen to? What site should I be on? What social media? You may not even need to use social media. The people who are your audience may not even be on social media. They may be only in offline events. You have to know that, which hopefully you're making a film about something you know and a community that you're already involved in. So it's not like you're coming straight from the outside and you have no clue who's going to watch your film or be interested in your film. If, if you're doing that, you're going to have a really difficult time. I would, I would just – I would maybe um, alter – I have a different, slightly different perspective. I think that you can make a film that you're not connected to the audience with, but I think if you are in that case, I think it's important to you as you make the film – you become connected with the audience before you release the film, so that you understand the audience of that film before then being done and going, oh, who is this meant for? I have no idea. So I think you can still make films for which you are not connected to the audience, but I think that you have to become connected to that audience while you're making the film. And I think one of the interesting things that's happening these days is that there's a shift from a project-to-project -project mode of filmmaking where you make a film you abandon it to a distributor, you go on and make another film, you abandon that to a distributor, and I don't use that term abandoned to a distributor lightly because I think that's a lot of what happens, and where you provide connective tissue between your films and you generate an audience for all of your films for you as a filmmaker, and that that audience stays with you throughout your career, and that's, you know, to me, that's one of the really interesting things going on now that didn't, wasn't readily possible before and is possible now. And, and in, that, in that light, would you, would you suggest that we stay very genre-specific? You know, that's, sort of that's been my thought of my own filmmaking as a strategy. Um, what's your thought there? Because if you're building an audience that really enjoys, for example, horror movies, you hate to try and take them over to a character-driven love story if that's, in fact, your, uh, your next project. That's, that's a difficult, more difficult road to hoe. But by the same token, you know, I don't want, I hate, I hate to hear anyone saying, oh, I'm just going to stick with this one genre because that's all, you know, because I just want to stay with that, even though if your passion is that, then great. And that, if your vision is that, then great. I think that's wonderful. Um, and it's certainly easier to create an audience that will stay with you if you do that. However, you know, I'm not going to tell anyone 
what films to make and what films not to make, that they shouldn't do something that they're passionate about. So I'm not going to go there. What I will say is that if you look at the filmmakers that you admire and if you look at the filmmakers that I admire, they all have unified brands, if you look at it. Hitchcock, you knew what a Hitchcock film, you know what a Plansky film is, you know what a Scorsese film is, you know what a Quentin Tarantino film is, you know what a Woody Allen film is. They all make films. It tends to be that artists tend to make films that have threads that link them. So I think it's, you know, it's, yeah, I would find it even rare to find someone who, you know, there aren't so many filmmakers who on one film want to make a horror film. I know they exist. And then the next film, they want to make a film that's a narrative love story or something. But there might actually be a thematic thread, even if they are doing that, there probably are threads that link those films together and hopefully might link those audiences together. And I think that's why I spend a lot of time talking about personal branding, personal identity for filmmakers. Ideally, you want to build an audience around yourself and not around your project. So hopefully the people who are connected to you personally, they're more than one-dimensional people. They enjoy lots of different types of stories, but they like the way you tell a story. So you won't be locked into a certain genre because you're only appealing to horror fans. Hopefully you're connecting with them as people and they're connecting with you as an artist. So they would like to see your take on lots of different stories, not just one genre specifically. It makes sense from that perspective. You know, when, when distribution used to be discriminatory, where you had to have some middleman to give you permission to get your movie out to the intended target audience, whatever that is, you know, some of the ways that we would mitigate that risk is we would always concern ourselves with, one, having high production value, and the second one is could we get any name actors into the movie? And sometimes that name actor, you know, was really leveraged to be the draw of that movie. But through what you're saying, it's kind of like, hey, you're the filmmaker. Create your audience based on you and not so much the content of your movie, although that content may be related. Are we saying that now the idea of getting a star talent in the movie is less important? Um, I, Sherry and I have different viewpoints of this. Um, I personally feel that if there is a star who is appropriate for the role and wants to do your film, I think, why not? Stars are marketing hooks, so it's helpful and also, I should say, is appropriate for your film and thereby also appropriate for your audience, a star will help you get your film out there. A star will help you connect with an audience because they are recognizable brands in and of themselves. They will make the work easier for you. Um, I think it's possible to do films without stars and get them out there. I think you make, need to make, you know, I think in all films you may need to make an excellent film. Like it's all about, you know, you still have to make good work. Um, but I think stars help because they're mar they basically their name is a marketing book um, to draw people in. In this instance, I guess you could probably, being very topical, you could look at Nice Guy Johnny, who doesn't have any stars in the film, but the director is a star. So he's able to get to leverage the publicity off of that, off of his name, in order to get stories written about it, get a maximum amount of attention. So it's a, you know, it's a good story, it's a small story, it's a very low budget. Budget was not even you know, part of the consideration for the, for the publicity of it, but being Edward Burns, he, gets, he has the star power. He's the one who everybody wants to hear from and get quotes from, 
And so in that case, if you're a director who has an audience around your work, whether you have a star or not, is, is not that pressing. If you have one, especially someone who is an interest to your audience, and this is what I really want to emphasize is stop thinking mass. Stop thinking eyeballs, eyeballs. I need to be on the front page of the magazine. What's important is your audience and pleasing them. If you can please them, your brand spreads because they love you and they want to bring people into that group. So stop trying to cater to outside companies and outside interests of people who may watch your film once and they're not going to stay with you. The prime focus should be on the people who are the most invested in you as a person. And that's all you need to do. That's what makes this job so much easier if you would just concentrate all your energy to them instead of chasing after faceless masses who don't know who you are and don't care who you are. Concentrate on that. And the thing is, it's like for independent filmmakers, it's nearly impossible to go after those mass demographics. I mean, that's why the studios spend $100 million on P&A trying to connect with those mass audiences. Do you, most, all, nearly every single filmmaker I know or independent filmmaker that's what defines independent doesn't have those millions of dollars. So you have to be smart about figuring out who your core audience is and how you're going to engage that core and the super core. And there might be a couple per film or three or four, but especially start with one. And then from that core, have that core work outward into other audiences. And it takes a while and it takes a process, but you need to identify who that audience is and start with them. Don't think about, oh, I'm going to go after a mass. Now, the thing is, is that a name actor will help go beyond that core and will also help attract even that core and the outer layers of those audiences to your project because they'll, it'll cause it. they'll call attention to your project and then people who are your natural audience who may not have heard about it already will go, oh, that's something interesting to me. And then you have to have the tools set up for them to engage with you. The one thing, you know, in terms of going after the mass or making your audience big enough, you know, one of the problems is, and I guess it's the paradox, is how do we raise enough money, um, or rather, how do we get an audience big enough to justify a budget that can actually pay cast and crew? Um, well, I think, you know, it's a matter – I think you need to be kind of savvy about the films that you're making. I think you have to be savvy not only in films that, you know, you need to make something that, you know, potentially, A, starts with your passion. I think that will appeal to people the most. And you have to think about not necessarily making things that have been made before. You also have to think, I think it is good to think about whether there's an audience for this film, you know, in advance or whether it's not. And there are filmmakers who are going to proceed even if they can't think of an audience because they're so passionate about the film. In those cases, I really recommend keeping those budgets really low because if you can't identify an audience for that film and you're not willing to engage with that audience early on, it's going to make it really difficult for you to recoup your money. So I would really keep those budgets as bare bones as possible. And then if you do find an audience or you do start connecting with it, then that's bonus. But I would really think that films, there used to be a lot of films made without any thought of who this audience is going to be, how I'm going to connect to an audience. And a lot of people lost a lot of money. And I think you have to just, people have to be a little bit more aware of the economics these days. And I would just say, you know, as a greater part of this, is that I think filmmakers need to be aware that just 
not only is filmmaking one half of the process, that audience connection is the other half, but they have to raise money and budget for, that, for both halves from the beginning. You have to honor that you need to release this film if you want to achieve your goals, which is something that you also have to then take a few steps back, few steps back and figure out what your goals are. But essentially, most filmmakers are going to try to have some kind of distribution marketing goals, and you're going to need to raise money for that, pretty much in my opinion, when you're raising money for the film initially. And generally, it should be as a kind of a guideline, 50-50. So if you're going to make a, if you have $100,000 to make a film, I would make that film for $50,000 and have $50,000 for distribution and marketing. You're going to be a lot better off than if you just shoot all, you spend all your money on making your film and you have no resources left for distribution and marketing. And this is especially true for the lower budget. The lower your budget is, the more important this is. The lower your budget is, the more resources you're going to have to get out to distribution and marketing because there's thousands of other films out there for low but being made for very little money that are all competing for audience attention. Well, also, I think that you are getting at the question of how do you make money? How do you live? If you're a crew, if you're a cast, if you're a producer, um, I think that you're going to have to have a, a second job for a long time. I think that it takes a long time to build up to the point where you can sustain yourself solely from your work in film. A lot of people are not going to want to hear me say this, but there's going to be a lot of non-union work. And I don't know what that means for the unions. Um, I'm not that concerned about, this, about them. Um, but I think that you're going to have to figure out when you take a job, say that you're working you know, with the camera or you're an actor or whatever, besides money, what else does this production have to offer you? And you as a producer have to think that as well. You better have a plan for how you're going to get this film out there because if I'm working for little or nothing on, your, on this film, I want to know that at least it's going to get me some attention. It's going to look good on my reel. I'm going to get some other use out of it if I'm not going to get money. So that's your job as a producer when you're going out to, to cast and crew and thinking about if I don't have a lot of money to spend, what else do I have to offer? You know, and, and I've been thinking an awful lot about this myself, and um, a thought that I've been having is, you know, now that distribution is non-discriminatory and you have a lot of different outlets to reach a mass audience and share virtual shelf space with competing other bigger budget movies, uh, I don't know, from my perspective, this is just like any other startup model where, okay, maybe we don't have the upfront money um, because we can't go that high because we don't have any guarantee that we're going to recoup that investment. Maybe what it is is we pay people a little bit of money and give them back-end equity in the project in ways akin to how you would have a startup company and not just focus yeah. on that one project like you guys are saying, but also create a company around uh, maybe three to five different movies. So you go out and raise money for an entire slate. I know that's a yeah. little bit off topic. What's your thoughts there? I I think people have been experimenting this for a while. I mean, this has been going on for the last 20, 30 years, even before these more recent issues have happened, you know, whether you raise money for one film or a slate of films to balance the, the risks. Um, what I, the difference now is, and what is critical at this moment, is that whether you have money or don't have money, um, that you bring on someone as part of your team from the beginning who is going to be part of who is going to run that audience connection process, that distribution and marketing process, so that, you know, whether you can pay that person from the beginning, that's great, 
or whether you're a team of people who are just coming up out of film school, that instead of it beginning with a producer, writer, director, that you're now starting with a producer, writer, director, and PMD, that those people work as a team, and however the resources are divided, whatever resources you raise, that there's an awareness that audience connection is now part of the process and that you plan from, for it from and, and integrate it from inception. That, to me, is the, is the shift. That's the paradigm shift that's happened in the last two years. Whether you spread, however you raise money, spread risk, pay people, et cetera, those issues have been dealt with with independent film for three decades now. Um, and there's plenty of examples of different stories that have happened that way. To me, I'll just reiterate what is the what is different now is the recognition that filmmakers need to own the process of distribution and marketing, AKA audience engagement and connection. And if you ignore that, you ignore it at your peril. John, you mentioned PMD when you were, when you were saying that. Can you just explain for the listeners if they, what, a, what is a PMD? A PMD is a concept that I coined in my book, Think Outside the Box Office. Um, and it's, what it is is a producer of marketing and distribution. And what it is, is is a recognition that if this work needs to be done, that the rest of the crew already has other jobs. That if this is new work for filmmakers, then a new crew position or a new head of crew needs to be developed. And that, frankly, that producer of marketing and distribution will have a whole crew or potentially a number of people working under them all geared towards the audience connection for that film. So with this new responsibility, there needs to be a new crew position because if you just rely on the filmmakers or the producers, usually they're too overwhelmed during production to deal with this. And if you wait until after production, you're not taking advantage of the process as it best can be taken advantage and you're hurting yourself. So that's why I felt, because originally when I wrote, it was actually the last two paragraphs I wrote in the book because my added, I developed this concept of the new 50-50, which I kind of already outlined, which is 50% of your work as a filmmaker is making the film, 50% of the work is distribution and marketing, and that's new for independent filmmakers. And I, my attitude when I was writing the book was, yeah, well, that's tough. Too bad. You've got to figure it out. You know, I had to figure it out. Everyone else struggling now needs to figure it out, so go figure it out. And then I realized, well, that's kind of a jerk kind of position to take, and it's not very nice to write, look, you know, just tough luck, too bad. You know, so then I, you know, I had this idea, well, you know, there is all this work. Why don't we create a crew position for it? Why don't we name the crew position? Because it, no one's going to start training for something unless there's a title. So I figured if you create a title, then people would know that it's needed, would train to be those people. It would attract people to the film industry that normally didn't realize that there was a role for them that filmmakers could go to marketing departments and universities and business schools and universities and get people from there to say, hey, look, you're interested in film, but you don't want to be on set. Perfect. Here's a new crew position for you because all this new work needs to be done. And that's the intention of the, of, of the crew position, and that's the idea of it. And the idea of it, just to say again, is that this person doesn't come on board at the end, that this person is in, on board from the whole pro throughout the whole process. And I want to throw in that I think that that PMD position should not be a filmmaker, actually. It shouldn't be somebody who's aspiring to make their own film. 
They should be somebody who really is interested and passionate about doing marketing and distribution because then it gets too conflicted of, you know, what are they really interested in? They're going to help you out for a while until they get their project started and then abandon, you know, the process. This needs to be somebody who this is what they want to do. They want to work with film, but they don't want to make film. They don't feel that's their strength or that's not their interest, but they like the industry of it. But they want to do the marketing and they want to figure out how to make sales for the film. The one thing I will add to that is I think it's good if that person has a good story sense, though, because I think a lot of this, especially as film transitions into transmedia, which I think it will almost completely within 10 years, I'll just say that. Can you um, describe what transmedia is, John? It's basically the understanding that audiences are fractured, that people consume media in different ways. Not everyone who enjoys media watches a feature film. My son rarely goes to see movies. He usually consumes media on his computer watching short clips on the web. That, that there's a um, – that people consume – sorry, my wife keeps calling me and I keep having to ignore, so I lose my train of thought. So that there's – people consume media across multiple platforms and that the feature – at the same time, when you create a story, you're creating – hopefully, rich characters that have full lives, you're creating a world for them, all of which becomes is a large story universe. And up until now, filmmakers have only been taking one slice of that whole universe and making a feature film out of it. But there's all kinds of stories that can be told and all kinds of threads that can be told that can then be told across multiple media platforms. And to me, that is, those two things are why transmedia or cross-media is so exciting to me as a filmmaker and should be exciting to other filmmakers. And what I want to add to transmedia is that there's also um, a participation from the audience available in this, which has never been possible before. It was always passively watching something on a screen. And, and the audiences coming up today, the younger kids coming up today, are very used to interacting with people online, um, interacting now with different kinds of media. They want to be immersed in the story world almost to the point of being able to engage their imagination and feel that the story is almost as much theirs as it is yours. So that's why I think the change is coming from being a very passive form of entertainment to a very active form of entertainment. If you look at YouTube, if you look at Facebook, a lot of um, kids are now content creators. They put their stuff up there, and they want the ability to go back and forth, you know, put in UGC, um, and you should want, as a, as a filmmaker, as a storyteller, to be able to riff off of that. that. That shows the engagement that you have with your audience, and it shows the audience that you care what they think, what their ideas are, and the two of you are collaborating together on a story. What, what about some of the traditional filmmakers, Sherry? You know, we hear all this talk about YouTube, Twitter, social media out the gazoo. You know, at what point should we say, hey, I need to get a Facebook page and a Twitter uh, profile and all that kind of stuff? Uh, if you're um, working in film today, you personally ought to have one. Immediately. If you aren't engaged in social media, you're way behind. And I mean personally engaged. Because you can't know how those platforms work if you don't use them yourself. So I would say, first off, before you even decide whether it's okay for your film or not, you should have one. Because how else are you going to talk to people? Call them, 
go door to door, send them direct mail. I mean, everyone congregates and talks online, and you should be there. You're really behind if you're, if you're not. Um, second, for your film, choosing which platforms to go on depends on your audience, depends on where they hang out. Um, if you don't personally have an audience already built up where you have your outlets set up and that's where people know to find you, then you need to find out where they are and join those. So I can't tell you, you need a Facebook page and you need a Twitter account. I don't know. It depends on the audience for your film. If they, don't, if they hang out on their own meme sites and forums, then you need to go there first. That's how you pick. Um, it's not first. You have to know the strategy in the audience. Then you pick the tools you're going to use. John, speaking of strategy and audience, you use some unique uh, things for your movie Bomb It. Can you just talk about some of the steps you used to make that a successful project? Um, all right. So we, you know, that was an interesting project in that, you know, we thought we were going to make, we thought we were going to achieve the dream, right? We took it to Tribeca and intended to sell it there. And that was the beginning of the collapse of the, you know, the festival acquisition model in 2007. So um, we did pick up new video as a DVD distributor. Um, I do believe in working with partners if you know, two conditions uh, apply. One is that the deal makes financial sense for you. And which can mean many things and involves many different aspects, but one is that the deal makes financial sense, and number two, that um, you have vetted that company with other filmmakers, that you know that that company is reputable, pays filmmakers, et cetera. Okay, so we created a, we had a relationship with New Video, and what I did is I went out and created a theatrical release for my film in advance of the DVD release. I basically realized that I needed to create a windowing strategy that made sense for the film. Um, and we had already been developing an audience for the film throughout production, and frankly, one of the producers was doing that all throughout on our on our MySpace page, which was relevant for us at the time for our audience. Our audience lived on MySpace, which is not on Facebook at the time. Um, and so that's why we, we dealt with MySpace. And we actually, and we had a very active blog. And I think those two aspects were very, you know, important for us getting the word out about the film and making the release a success. I also created an affiliate marketing campaign for when the film hit and when we did, we sold the DVD off of our website. I think that was very important. Um, and then we've just continued to put out content and, you know, the brand kind of lives on and to the point that now Bombit 2 has actually launched on Babblegum. Uh, Bombit itself is now on VOD starting as of November 1st. Um, and we're, we have an iPhone app coming out in a few weeks which is not, it's going to have some film content on it, but that's not the intention of the app. The, the intention of the app is a geolocation graffiti and street art app where with an iPhone or an Android, you can take photos of graffiti, upload them to a website, and then people when they go to the city can hit a button and they'll, it'll show them where the interesting graffiti and street art that other people have uploaded to that map, Google map, um, is, in, is in proximity to them. That sounds innovative and awesome, John. I know we're running out of time here, so uh, real quick, if any of the filmmakers out there, uh, they want to find out more about you and your services, where can they go? Uh, Sherry, I'm going to start with you. Sure. Um, well, I'm online uh, not 24 hours a day, but 
probably 18. <laughs> um, if you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter at Sherry Candler, all one word. Um, I also have a Facebook page, uh, Sherry Candler Marketing and Publicity, that's very active. Um, we have a lot of conversations, good conversations going on there, and I post up every day, mostly curated content of things that I think my, my people um, would find interesting, and sometimes commentary from me on why I find it interesting. I also have a website, sherrykendler.com, um, and I, you know, post blogs there on more than a few occasions. And uh, and there's, you know, you can contact me by email. Um, the the address is on my site, or you can send me an inbox message uh, on Facebook, and um, and we'll talk about it. I am quite busy with, um, with projects at the moment, so I am starting to have to turn people down and give them some ideas on where else they could go or some things that they can implement on their own. Um, but, you know, that depends on when you contact me as to what the workload is. And John, how about and you? Where can, go ahead. Yeah, so people can find me on Twitter at John underscore Reese. Um, they can also get the book if they're interested at thinkoutsidetheboxoffice.com. I also do workshops, and there's information about the workshops there. They can also comment, I mean, contact me through my, uh, my blog, my website, which is johnreese.com backslash blog. I also have a Facebook page for the book, which is facebook.com backslash thinkoutsidetheboxoffice. And um, so I also consult. So if people, you know, want me to develop a distribution marketing strategy or consult with them or help them execute a distribution or supervise a distribution marketing strategy for the film, I am available for that. And people can email me at reese.john at gmail.com. So it's R-E-I-S-S dot john, J-O-N, at gmail.com. And, uh, yeah. And I recommend people buy the book from the website. You can get it on Amazon, and that's great too. But if you get it from the, app, the website, I do send um, chapter updates, you know, as part of the package from buying it from the site as an incentive to buy it from the site. And we have a workshop coming up in Atlanta, the 13th and 14th? Yeah, the 13th and 14th. Of November. Of November, which is next week, yeah. depending on when this gets posted. Uh, hopefully soon. Well, thank you both uh, Sherry and John for stopping by. It's been incredibly informative, and I know our listeners are going to be very um, eager to hear what you guys have to say, and I'm sure they'll check out your websites, workshops, books, blogs, everything else out there. Well, as always, filmmakers, if you'd like more information on filmmaking stuff, please go, go to filmmakingstuff.com. And if you'd like my free filmmaking book, you're always welcome to stop by freefilmmakingbook.com. This podcast has been another exciting production of Brubaker Unlimited, LLC, 6767 Sunset Boulevard, number 9153, Los Angeles, California, 90028, Los, uh, United States of America, copyright 2010, Brubaker Unlimited, LLC.